better. To episode 46 of Smart Enough to Know Better. A podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Greg Wah. And 46 is the number of human chromosomes. Oh, mo- hey. most of the time. Well, unless something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty good. Let's see you go. This is the human chromosome episode. So we must have more chromosomes than any other creature because we're so smart and developed. That's not how science or biology or genetics works in any way. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but I watched The Fifth Element and she had a lot more DNA. She did and she was a perfect being. Yes. Yeah. That's right. In the end, it turned, an element turned out to be love. So let's not take science from The Fifth Element. All right. And there All are right. more than four elements. Like she She's the fifth element. What's his hydrogen, helium, lithium, brilliant? She's boron. That's what she was made of. The fifth <laughs> element is boron. <laughs> now, between four and six. Yes. Four, four and six. Yes. 46. Between four and six, there's the number. 4.5? No, and an exact integer between 4 and 6. Good. 5. Thank you. You know, he's just riling me, listeners. Okay, and of course, now connecting back to our podcast, at the start of the podcast, there was a nice British gentleman introducing our podcast, and that was the fifth doctor, well, the actor who played him, anyway, Peter Davidson. <gasps> from All Creatures Great and Small. Much better known from All Creatures Great and Small, where he played the younger veterinary brother. That's right. But then he became Doctor Who. It's very exciting. Well, he came to the Doctor. Sorry. I just upset. Oh. I upset a lot of Doctor Who fans. And we're not Whovians. Stop calling. I love the fact that America has has I've taken Doctor Who and it's yep. big in America. Yay, yay. More money for the BBC. Therefore, more chance of Doctor Who. I'm all for that. But they have to, like, Trekkies and, and, um, and I don't know, Farscapers, or I don't know what they've called. Yeah. Know, I, don't, I don't think they had a name, Farscapers. But then someone went, oh, Whovians. Uh, they, they should be called Farscapees. Farscapes, oh, very good. That's, yeah, that's very good. And uh, Whovians. Like, no, Whovians? Because they're doctor. I, why can't Maybe we, they should be called Hoovers. Why can't we just be doctors? The doctors are here. Anyway, is there a doctor in the house? Yo! Uh, anyway, keep firing. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, my brain. Anyway. So yeah, that was the thank you, Peter Davidson. Doctorettes. Oh, and the sexolettes. What? No, the doctorettes and the sextuplets. Sextuplets. I've not seen that that oh, episode. <gasps> no, wait. We could be the companions. Oh yeah, yeah. kind of like the brown coats in uh, yeah, Firefly. Yeah, basically because yeah. we're all human, so every one of us can be a doctor's potential companions. We could be the Pot- companions. I, potential companions doesn't come off the tongue so easily. Potential, but, uh, but just companions. Companions. I had, I had to talk about this recently at work. I was discussing how awesome Doctor Who is at, in, in a serious work environment, and everyone was staring at me, going, "Ah, oh, great." And they said, well, "It's not real though." And I was like, "No, I have to believe on some part of my soul that at some moment you hear the." And the TARDIS will appear, and the doctor will go, Greg, you must come with me. I need to go through time and space with you. And I'll go, okay. And like I run inside. You're going to have to start wearing shorter skirts. I really do. That's, and, and then shaving down there as well. I'd be, otherwise, I'd be like, he's got a hedge in his skirt. <clears throat> anyway, filthy and weird. So what science have you been up to? I'm not up to. I just found something that disturbed me a lot. There's something called Cotard's Syndrome. Cotard syndrome and Cotard sounds syndrome, great. It's, uh, Tell me about something else that I can worry about in the middle of the night. <laughs> Cotard syndrome. It's a, it's a neurological condition where you believe that a part of your body has died. So you just wake up and go, "Oh, my right arm has died." So uh, even though it moves around and it does things for you, you just believe it's dead. 
So it might, you might hang down. There's nothing actually wrong with you. And, of course, then you go, oh, there's a dead thing attached to me. I want to cut it off because there's a horrible dead thing attached to me. And so th- these people try and amputate uh, fingers and arms. And, and they're like, doctor, you must cut off my arm. Why? It's dead. You mean the one you're pointing at me right now? Shut up. It's a neurological condition. And you, you think your arm's dead. And that's pretty bad. Or your leg is dead. Or your eye is dead. Or your nose is dead. Any part of your body. Or there's a gentleman called Graham in the UK who believed... His brain was dead. He thought, was he in politics? Ah, <laughs> uh, very good. No, he thought his brain was dead. He honestly thought his brain had died. He thought he was a dead person, and he was going to doctors. Excuse me, doctors. I'm dead. And they go, "Well, you're pretty lively." And he's, "I can't explain what's going on or how I'm doing this, but my brain died last night, and, I, and now it's dead, and I would like it removed, please." And everyone's like, "You, oh, we can't. Like, you, mm, please go home now and be quiet." He won't, he won't eat because he's dead. So he doesn't need to eat anymore. And people have actually had this condition before, Cotard syndrome, and thought their brain had died. Just go home and go, I don't need to eat anymore because I'm dead. And then they die because I don't have to eat any. You do have to eat. Wow. It's horrible, isn't it? It's like a weird thing. So his brother and his family are looking after him, so like feed, making sure he feeds. When he's told to feed, that's great. Like he'll, he'll do it, but he doesn't think about it himself. And what's really weird is he's got, he keeps pointing out he technically is dead because he feels no happiness or joy or sadness He's just very, very neutral. He, he, he loved cars. Now he doesn't care about cars because he's dead. You know, he doesn't care about his relationships because he's dead. And it's just this weird... There you go. It sounds lovely, actually. Oh, I've had a very stressful week. <laughs> there you go. Something else to worry about, lovely listeners. Cotard's Syndrome. Maybe tomorrow you wake up and have your love of podcasts dead. Oh, God. What about science for you, Dan? Anything interesting for you? I did download Jurassic Park Builder on my iPhone. Jurassic Park Builder? Yeah, yeah. It puts you in the mind of a architect at Jurassic Park, and you get to build all the exhibits <laughs> and research. And you, you get Is to one f- of the achievements Clever Girl? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I, I've, I've just started developing Velociraptors. Uh-oh. So uh, that should be fine. That should, oh, they're, they're lovely creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're chickens that are huge and hate you. Yeah. I started with eight. mm but the big one killer came in and killed all but two of the others. <laughs> Sometimes when you watch them, you can see them looking at you. I love that movie. <laughs> the problem is, of course, they're not feathered. And as we've said, that's the, not a real problem. <laughs> and as we've said on the podcast before, they never will be feathered. They've come out and said we will never feather our dinosaurs because in Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, because stuff that they don't want them. They don't want feathered dinosaurs. And I was like, you've you've lost a you've lost an extremely small group of people. Yeah, well, that's true. But can you imagine it'd be really horrible? Like they come around the corner, they hear someone scream, they run around the humans run around the corner, and there's like a some sort of weird feathery mass lying on the ground, undulating crazily, uh, and then it pulls pokes back, its head back, and it's a velociraptor stands up and yeah. goes. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> So welcome to the Smart Enough to Know Better interview, Michelle Bannister. Thank you. And Michelle is a postdoctoral fellow for the Outer Solar System Origin Survey at the University of Victoria. But you're not in Victoria right now, are you? Victoria, Australia. You're somewhere else. Yes, I am in the other Victoria. You're the, the other. Uh, nefarious one. <laughs> the nefarious um, Victoria. Yep. Excellent. That's yes, the one that's currently coming into a rather pleasant spring while you guys are going into winter. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm over here in British Columbia in Canada. Yeah, that winter oh. in Brisbane's terrible. I, I had to put on one of the, my thicker t-shirts. <laughs> I'm still walking around in shorts. <laughs> 
that's a, that's a yes. So in Canada, people listen to the podcast and know Canada and I have a war. We're warring, so I'm very sorry that you're in Canada. All those nice people being nice to everyone. It's terrible. How are you, how are you surviving? Well, I moved here, what is it? I moved here on the 18th of last month, so... Oh. I can see so far it's been um, oh. unabashedly pleasant. So. Oh, <laughs> I bet it has. It's pleasant. It's a very nice oh, it's so pleasant. Oh, I couldn't stand live my life with pleasant. Sounds people. like every Canadian I've ever met. Just, they're hiding something. We know they're hiding something. They can't, no one can be. They're kind of a race of people that nice. It just doesn't work. They're, they're, <laughs> oh, they're, 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 one day they'll tear their masks off and they'll be like Cthuloid monsters or something. You know it. We all know it. <clears throat> so you've traveled almost the diameter of a single planet but you're a little bit more interested in uh, larger distances than that mm. yeah my field of research is trying to understand the formation of planetary systems and you know, what makes our planet interesting and you know the whole solar system interesting compared to other planetary systems and the way in which i like to try and solve that problem is through the smallest members of our own solar system the tiny little icy worlds at the edge of the solar system all the fun ones and all the fun, icy, shiny, reflective ones, <laughs> really, really dim. These ones, uh, there's not a single one of these that you can see with your own eyes. So you're talking about things like Haumei and Maki Maki? Yep. The, the wonderful thing about these is because they were discovered relatively recently, and there's a bunch of rules for naming them which are quite fun. Oh, oh, yes. In terms of what requirements you can use. They're named after creation deities or underworld deities, and... <laughs> Pluto is probably one of the better known ones, mm. but that was discovered in 1930 by an astronomer who was, when, when he discovered it, was about the same age as I am now. Which will go, go unknown. <laughs> <laughs> never ask, <laughs> never <laughs> ask a lady her age. I've learned, my mother taught me well. <laughs> oh, no, by the time you get through grad school and start a postdoc, you're going to be in your late 20s. Right, excellent. Now we know. Oh, Phew, I can sleep easy. Anyway, the, um, the nice part about these all being named for different creation myths and different underworld deities is the outer solar system is populated by objects named to honour all kinds of deities. So we have Sedna, which is named for an Inuit deity. We have Makimaki, which is named for an Easter Island creation god for Rapa Nui. We have Haumea, who's named for a Hawaiian creation deity. That's and, awesome. Yeah, so you have all these really beautiful names that we get to use as part of our scientific research. But you're not allowed to use Xena. No, that, that was, oh, I was going to bring that up. Yeah? Because they, they found one. They called it for a while. They were going to call it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, they were going to call it Xena, and then they discovered that it had a moon. They went, oh, we'll call that Gabriel. And I went, oh, that's best. But then they changed it, I think, to Eris. I think it's Eris now. Is that is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that was the object that caused so much discord over ah, what the concept of a planet was that I, it was only really one good goddess in mind, that's and that awesome. was the Greek goddess of discord. That's yep. fantastic. Uh, I, <laughs> and the little sprite, her demon of. Uh, um, of discord, dysnomia. Dysnomia. Oh, I just, you, you don't understand how excited I was because when it was Xena and Gabriel, I was like, that's brilliant. But then when they went, oh, we're changing, I got very sad. And when they said, it's called Eris, I got very excited again. <laughs> it just, nice. that, was, that was the, the only name that it could have gone that made me happier. So it was like, well done, astronomers, for picking an exciting name. So I have to mm -hmm. ask a question, though, Michelle, and mm -hmm. it's a very personal question. I need to, but I need, we need to get it, we need to clear the air, I think. We said we weren't going to ask her age. No, no, no. <laughs> no, more personal. 
personal than that. But no, half life? No, no. <laughs> What's your half life? No, uh, no, because it's, it's something that we need to clear the air very quickly. What have you got against Pluto? But you personally, and astronomers in general, poor Pluto was out there looking like a planet, and then one day, astronomers just went, no, you're demoted. There was no performance review, he was just given his marching orders, and he was turned into oh, a dwarf planet. I wish... This is one of the beautiful things about science is how you tell the story of how stuff gets discovered and how you tell the story of how you try and understand the universe. And mm. I think the whole what is a planet, how do we define a planet, is one of these great fun stories. And, you know, in another 10 years or so, once a lot of the heat has cleared out of this, mm. it's going to be seen as you know, one of the really interesting phases of discovery in, it, in how we understand our place in the universe. Because... Pluto was found. They thought, okay, it's probably about as big as Earth is. Mm. And ever since its discovery, basically pretty much every decade since, another bit of information would come along and the size of Pluto would shrink. Ah. You can find, if you do a little bit of judicious Googling, you can find plots that show that Pluto was going to shrink so small that it wouldn't exist at all. We have to save it immediately. Quick, everyone. We have to get out there and pack things onto it. But, but the weird part was, we seem to have forgotten now that when Pluto went, was discovered, people were really excited. And there was a really cool talk given in 1930 in which an astronomer said, this must just be the first of a whole bunch of worlds, of trans-Neptunian worlds beyond Neptune, yeah. that are just waiting for us to discover. So they knew, no they, one, they, they no kind one of knew ever back thought then. Pluto was just going to be a singleton by itself. It was, yeah. it was the start of a new frontier. Right. And then somewhere along the next couple of decades, you know, things, it turned out to be really hard to do this work. Mm. The way we discover these types of objects is you take a picture of the sky and then you come back the next day or so and take another picture of the same piece of sky. Mm -hmm. And the stars stay in the same place. Mm -hmm. And anything that's in our solar system will move in between. Mm -hmm. So you get tiny little moving dots of light. And if you compare the two images... You get this blink, 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 blink as the, as the solar system objects move on their tiny little paths relative to us and relative to the sun. When you do this by hand, which mm. is what they had to do in 1930 and right up until the invention of digital cameras in the early 1990s, it's vast amounts of work. So you mean a human thousands, being had to, to literally like take oh, photo, yes. photo A, photo B, photo A, yep. photo B, and then have a look at... Yep. <gasps> And here's a patch of sky with oh. all of those points of light in it. Oh. Some of them are stars, some of them aren't. And guess which ones are planets? Oh, goodness me. And th oh, yes. so, so it's one yes. of the times. That's why So it took so long to find Pluto because you just had to stumble onto it, really. Oh, I read about a trick that they discovered in order to do this. Because what they do is they get both photos next to each other mm. and then they'd cross their eyes to sort of fake a stereograph image. Oh. And so everything would look flat except one point on each image would not be the same. And so it would appear to jump off the page or be deeper in the page. And it would be really easy to spot amongst oh. a whole page full of dots. You could easily see the dot that had moved from, from image well, to image. More easily, I suppose. Super easy. Oh, okay. Just You'd there look you and you'd cross your eyes and go... Oh, there it is. Oh, well, there you go. Weird. Have you ever used that before? I haven't used that technique because <laughs> I'm lucky enough to be in the age where we have computers. Ah, yes. So you, so pretty much, <laughs> because this was all done with photographic plates. So you're trying to Ooh. spot a tiny moving dot at the limit of the brightness that your photographic plate can register. This is the era when astronomy was done by having huge slabs of glass, like a, a small window pane, and you'd have to paint 
this liquid onto it and then take the plate with the painted on liquid on it up to the telescope physically, drop it into a holder in the telescope, open the shutter yourself, leave it there for half an hour or however long you needed to expose Crank for. the telescope, feed coal yep. into the eyepiece. <laughs> there was, yeah, and you were making oh. your images, catching the light and doing your own developing. It was, yeah, it was photography. And they call this the good old days. It's rubbish. Everything in the past was bad. That's what I have to say. It was the bad and, old days. Well, now we have pretty much any observatory will have a plate library somewhere where all of this information is stored because it's, it's good information. Someone mm. could use mm. it. and yeah. We can yeah, still use old data to, to find new stuff. One day, yeah. There's a couple programs trying to digitize all oh, of so it's not plates. You're saying it's not digitized yet. It's, it hasn't been done yet. Oh, no, but that costs money. <laughs> ah, <laughs> and, there's, and there's the issue. Okay, this all right. is science, not sport. There's no money <laughs> here. Runway models, they, they get money. Uh, um, that, that's great. Oh, yeah, but, but, so hmm. the fun part was we get to kind of the 1970s, a couple more of these distant objects beyond Neptune are being found, and then you get to the 1990s, and suddenly you have this magical new technology called the charge-coupled device, uh-huh. which we now just call digital cameras. Hmm. And suddenly you have a digital sensor, and it's not quite as good as a photographic plate but it's almost as good mm. and it can take images faster mm. and you can end up with this information inside a computer and that means you can write a program that goes is something in the same place no it moved mm. and it moved again and you can write software that does this kind of matching of the tens on tens of thousands of dots wow. of every point of light and suddenly it becomes far more practical to do these big sky surveys so even things that are moving very either moving very very slowly or very very far out or both you can find, discover those where human eye might not see them on a plate just move it too much the computer can go no no there's something wrong here call the human no, there's something yep. you need, we, need, we need to check this <laughs> well, the only reason that the computer will call the human is if the human told the computer to do this. So we spend a lot of time making sure the software works really, really well. <laughs> Don't call the human unless you're really or, certain. Or else the computer's just sitting there going, oh, there's heaps of stuff I found. Yes. Hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, well, I'll um, just yeah. keep looking. Just keep looking. Yay! I, I know, I know all about it. We'll always have a last step in this where the human will, which generally means me or a grad student or whoever's doing one of these kinds of big yeah. surveys. To Michelle look Bannister, the human. There you go. Yep. <laughs> you have a little badge. We'll be, Hello. Rena- we'll be Renowned human, badge. Michelle Bannister. <laughs> <laughs> now, can, can I ask a question? I was sort of doing a little bit of research into this before we chatted. You're talking more about the Kuiper Belt, aren't you? That's the, the outer sort of area yeah. past so, Neptune. Yep. So, so one of the things that we understand of the structure of the outer edges of the solar system is that there's a region where there's a lot more objects. When I say a lot more... Just dense with them. Just like a wall of stuff out there. (laughs) Oh, God, I hate that analogy. It's it's really hard to talk about a region where you suddenly have more objects Mm, mm. because you're talking about such huge spaces. Yes. When I think about the solar system, kind of everything out to Jupiter is in this tiny little condensed region Mm. compared... You're packing all of these planets there and so close. My God, how does anyone ever do anything? (laughs) (laughs) The inner solar system is a really dense place Mm. compared to the spaces I generally think about. It freaked me out recently when I realized that Jupiter is about 10 astronomical units out, so 10 distances from the Earth to the Sun, but then Saturn is 19. So Saturn is double the distance that Jupiter... almost double the distance that Jupiter is. And 
that's when I went, oh, my scale of the solar system is all wrong. <laughs> I'm, no, hang on. I'm sure I've seen illustrations in books where they're right next to each other. <laughs> that's the answer. That, that, that is a... Mm. Oh, I, I, wanted to, I want to see some beautiful art done of the solar system that actually gives you this, the scale of how big our solar system is. It, it, I, I mean, saw a really it, it good one. It would have to be a flip-out book with like a million pages, I'm afraid. It'd be a very big. It's, it, a, lot e- it's a lot easier to do it as web pages. There, there is actually one that's a bicycle tour. And what happens is you start at the planetarium, which is a big semicircle, and they go, well, this is the sun. And then you get on your bike and you pedal for 6K to get to Mercury. <laughs> and to get to Pluto, you've pretty much got to get into a train and yeah. go <laughs> across the planet. So, so oh, th- there's ooh. a model solar system like that in Australia. It's, uh, it starts at Siding Spring Observatory. So the, the biggest dome on Siding Spring is uh, the Anglo-Australian Telescope, and where's, the AAT. Where, where's, some, where's Siding Springs for our international listeners? In northern New South Wales. Northern New South Wales. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, we're near northern New South Wales. We should go have a look. But yeah, well, it's, it, yes. Sure. We it's should. a good road trip. Yeah, so you, cool. start at the AAT, you start at the AAT, and the size of that dome, which is pretty big, that's used as the scale for the sun. Oh, and right. then as you drive away from that telescope, you go past billboards that have got the planets on them mm. to scale at the right distances away. As you go north so, and south, isn't it? It's uh, yep. things like Coonabarabran and, and around there. Uh-huh. Yes, that's. I, th- I think I've seen one of those billboards. And I expect you yeah. see a billboard that has like the big word Mercury and an arrow pointing at a marble. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So basically, by the time you get um, from Siding Spring to Dubbo, which is a good two and a bit hours drive away, that's when you find Pluto. Right. <laughs> and everything else now. That's the put everything. Just pack lots of other things in there, all the other things you found out there. But some of those things are, we were talking about before, like Eris and those, they make Pluto look like a star hugger, don't they? I mean, they're, they're really far out compared to Pluto. Oh, there's some amazing things. So one of the really big things that, that we've picked up in the pretty much the last 10 years or so has been that the structure of the solar system as we see it today is not what it used to look like when it formed. There's been some major, major architectural rearrangement of the solar system. (laughs) We call it this. We rearranged the architecture. So we uh, we smashed out this wall here. We filled in your veranda. Uh, It's looking really nice. Put some down (laughs) some nice tiles. I put in a little garden. Equity, mate. (laughs) You're you're, you're building up equity in your your solar solar system. Your solar system looks very last giga year. Now, what we need to do is update it to a more modern. No one, no one has hot Jupiters next to their sun anymore. Now we move it all out. It's all moved out much colder and much much nicer looking things with things, exactly. with things with rings. We like things with rings. That's, <laughs> rings are very are now very hip. Uh. Yep. <laughs> I mean, at one point, there's a number of models now that suggest we probably had five gas giants to start with. What the? And we lost one. Yeah, we lost one. Where is we lost one. Well, the other four got in a disagreement with it and kicked it out. Oh. So it just flew off into space. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> is there some alien going? It's got very cold. Wait, suddenly. wait, wait, wait. So that means that in space. There's a bunch of gas giants just rogue flying planets. around. Ready to kill oh, yeah. you, Dan. Is that, is that a thing? Is that, it's that, called a rogue planet. Rogue planet. That's the name of them. Wow. Yep. And, and that, now yeah. that, that's what people think. And that, they could be really numerous. This is pretty easy to do for star systems, is to change the order of your planets in such a way that you end up kicking one of the big ones out. Mm. So, so basically, Jupiter muscles... We've got oh, sorry, lots yep. of these roaming the Milky Way. I read somewhere recently, they're saying like, one of the ideas was maybe all these rogue planets could have something to do with like the missing baryonic matter of the universe kind of thing. Maybe 
maybe these things are out there, we can't see them. Uh, and then they went, not. oh, okay, wrong. Gregoire is incorrect. <laughs> but, but the it, you add up all of the masses of all of these gas giants, it's yes. not nearly enough. Oh, okay, cool. That, that, yeah. only, only tiny. Trying to figure out what the matter in the universe is made of is a, is a bigger problem. Yes. And yeah, we don't really have a good idea not yet. yet. But, but, so, but yeah, to go, to go oh, yeah. back to the, um, what we can use to say why we think that this happened mm. is it's these little worlds at the edge of the solar system that are the signatures mm. um, of this rearrangement happening. Where they orbit now, a lot of them orbit in places that have been pushed there by the giant planets moving. Wow, okay. So as they, yeah. as they got moved, as the big ones like Jupiter they got moved around, the little ones just get kicked away. Yep. So there's probably exactly. lots of, would there be then would it be fair to say then if big planets like one or two big planets got flung into space and gone, would it be fair to mm-hmm. say that lots of little planets got flung into space and gone as well? Yeah, like Earth-sized uh, about, things are, whoo, gone. Yeah, and about <laughs> somewhere on the order of five percent or so of those got recaptured by the sun. And those form our comet cloud, what they call the Oort cloud, after the Dutch astronomer who came up with the idea. Uh, I have questions. I have questions about that, but that's still yeah. later. Okay. <laughs> so the, the Oort cloud is way further out than mm. what I normally deal with. Mm. So where we are on Earth, we're one unit away from the sun. Mm-hmm. The Oort cloud starts about 50,000 <laughs> times further away from the sun. Yes. I think it's, and Jupiter is 10 from or, units from the sun. So Wow. Yeah, that's, um, yeah it's and a long... Uh, so <laughs> and, and Pluto sits in generally at around somewhere between 42 and 48 is where I like to think of it. <laughs> there you go. So where's the heliopause? A fair bit further. Ooh, bother. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. but That's, that's, a, that's inside the Oort cloud, though, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. Wait, so, but, isn't, but Voyager is... Yeah. No, Voyager, Voyager, the heliopause is the, the distance that the solar wind goes, so it runs into the... Yeah, yeah. Into, but no, the Oort cloud is beyond that. But the, the Voyager yep. has hit... The heliopause. Heliopause. Yes. So, and it, so oh, it's yes. ages it's out. A, yes. Yeah. It's, it, Voyager is nowhere near leaving the solar system. Voyager is not going to leave the solar system before it stops talking to us. Mm. Because we've got all these little objects in the outer solar system. Some of the ones that encountered the giant planets are now on these really highly tilted, really highly eccentric orbits. Mm. Basically, they look like giant skinny ellipses going around the sun. They're not as elongated as comet orbits, but they're close to it. Mm. And it's got ages to go before it, it gets past the limits of any of those. There's a good chance that we'll, we'll invent space travel and, and catch up to it and go past it. <laughs> That's what I'd like to think. One day you're going to be out picnicking in space, and then you, suddenly you get hit by the Voyager. You're, Damn it, that th- junk from space. Ah, anyway, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping my great, 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 if we have a chance to take pictures of outer solar system objects by going around them and actually being able to sit there for a while, that would be amazing. That would be oh, that'd be the best thing. So that's what, why I wanted to bring up the Kuiper Belt. I just we talked discovering things for a while. They they thought that Ceres, the, the the asteroid that the large one that's in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, that's quite large. And for a while they thought that was a planet, didn't they? They they went look look at this big thing. Yeah, we've had this idea of, you know, what makes a planet has gone back and forward a number. Mm. I think we're up to something like six times now since <laughs> you, know, you have you have the ancient uh, level of where you like to draw your early astronomy. So mm. Babylonian, um, Aboriginal, mm-hmm. etc. And that's the naked eye planets. Mm. Then you kind of get a little bit closer to the present and you add in things like Uranus and Neptune and 
then we start adding all of the dwarf planets. Mm. Or then you start, sorry, then you start adding the asteroids, mm. and then you start adding the outer solar system dwarf planets. And the number of planets goes up and down between you know five to eight to oop nine. Yeah. Oh, suddenly we're at 300. All right, let's go back to nine. <laughs> Pull it back a bit. 300. We can't get you. Can't imagine Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. These are the planets, not the stars. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Neptune Pluto, Haume, Mackie, Eris. It would just go on forever. The kids' chant would continue for for an hour. They'd, they'd lose the interest too. It would. It'd start sounding very monotonic and very sort of <laughs> exact corporate Russia <laughs> type. But I mean, by the by, the way solar systems generally work, we have four planets. Kind of, we have two decent-sized ones. Mm-hmm. We have two medium-sized ones. We have a couple of little rocks, and then we have some really little rocks. Yes, and we unfortunately, just so people understand, <laughs> we don't live on the medium-sized one. We live on the little rocks. We live oh, on yeah. we live on the largest of the little rocks. Would that be fair to say? Yes, that, that's, that's pretty good. Yay! We're the largest of the little. Yay! Yep. And uh, that's, that's something we can we can keep. But yes, the other ones are Uranus and, and Neptune are just huge. So they can book. Oh yeah. So just these massive things. So they make up most of the mass of the planets in our solar system. These big yeah. gas giant thingies. But then further out, it's too cold for gas giants to form, isn't it? Or we think. Is that right? Could there be one out there, sort of lurking in space somewhere? Well. I can tell you pretty um, – we've got a pretty good handle on what isn't out there now. Mm. So I so I can tell you that something the size of Mars, which is a fair bit smaller than Earth and a fair bit less massive, mm-hmm. could potentially be hiding about, um, let's say, about a little over 300 times further away from the sun than we are here on Earth, Ooh. so about 300 astronomical units. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Our surveys haven't ruled out the existence of one of those. So we could still well, we discover have... it on this podcast. We could discover it and we could name it. Is that, do we get to name it? Is that how it works? <laughs> if you discover it, yes, you do yes. get to name it. Oh, but, but... but it has to be an underworld Or deity. a creation myth god. Yep. Uh, okay. who, well, who created the podcast, Dan? We could call it Wah. We call it Wah Planet. Really? That's yeah. who created the podcast? Yeah, that's who created the podcast. That's, we, we'll argue about this later, Underworld Man. We'll discuss this. At, <laughs> we call it the Evil Dan Planet. <laughs> But, yeah, we can rule out something bigger than Jupiter. We can rule out right. that kind of thing. Okay. Because we've looked at the sky both in the wavelength our eyes see, in the visible, and we've looked at the sky in infrared, mm. in more of a heat wavelength. Mm-hmm. And something like a Jupiter is really nice because something small and icy, it doesn't produce enough of its own heat unless it's very big to be seen in the infrared. Mm. But something like a Jupiter has got all of this stored internal energy, and they glow really brightly in the infrared. Uh. So with the rise careful little bit of software and some very careful looking at all the images and stacking them up the right way through a computer, you'd be able to tell if there was something like a Jupiter out there. So we know there's not a Jupiter out there. Okay. Now, the things we see out there... And there's other cool ways that we can tell that there isn't anything out there as well. So one of the ways we find planets around other stars, the extrasolar planets, Hmm. is by a Doppler method where... The planet tugs on its star. The gravity of the planet tugs on its star. The mm-hmm. star's gravity tugs on its planet. And so you get this little dance that they do where they wobble. The star wobbles as the big planet goes round it. That's what so Kepler, we, Kepler's discovering. Oh, no, that's transit method, isn't it? That's something that's else. That's transit. Yeah, yeah sorry. slightly different. Slightly different, um, sorry. Yes. I always find that but, quite but, fascinating because I would have thought that being able to see a planet really lit up by being near a star would be much easier to spot than what would, I would think would be a tiny little wobble in the, the star. 
star. The star is so bright it swamps out the reflecting light from the from the planet. But how do you see oh, yeah. like the but little tiny wobble in the glare? Planet detection is really hard. That's, yeah. You're talking. Here's a moth that's going around a lighthouse on the other side of the Pacific. <laughs> It's that level. Wow. But, 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 but we can see the light from the lighthouse, mm. and we can see the wobble that that moth is causing to that light. Like, that still seems like a crazy, mm. tiny thing to, oh, yeah. tiny measurement to. I didn't to. say this was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just more easy than staring at it, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so, one of the other ways we can rule out that there's a big planet that we haven't discovered in our own solar system, a big Jupiter, way off at the far, far edge of the solar system, is we can measure the timing from a thing called a pulsar, a really super dense old dead star hmm. that spins really, really fast. And they emit radio beams, and we can measure the timing of the spin of the pulsar. And there's telescopes it's like parks in Australia that are really, really good at doing this. I visited and it only three weeks ago for a, for a conference. I was very excited. I got to stand on the dish. I actually got lifted. <laughs> I, I, a- <laughs> I, I got lifted from the ground. They stepped onto it and it lifted me 50 meters into the air. And I was like, I am king of the world. It's great. Uh, you didn't get to play cricket, though. No, I, didn't get, I have a picture of me pretending to play cricket. So that was pretty exciting. <laughs> as close as I can do. Greg's not very sporty. No, no, that's right. <laughs> But yeah, so with pulsars, we can actually measure how much our solar system wobbles from the big planets in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we can do it to ourselves. <laughs> ah, so if there was and another one out there, then we would notice, we would go, there's a wobble there we can't, we can't explain. That yeah. means there has to be something else out there. Yep. Brilliant! That, that would, yeah. that's, okay, so we know there's not a large Jupiter-sized thing. Now, we, yep. we, the things we can see out and there... One, and oh. it's one of the things that the Square Kilometre Array is going to do is actually measure that for us even better than we've ever been able to do it before. The wobble so of the sun? Pretty good, yep, the wobble of the sun yeah. that would be due to, that's due to our planets and that would be due to any other planet if it was out there. Well, it's quite a complicated system. If you just take the eight planets, which are considered the, the planets now, they, they're all orbiting at different times, and there's, and there's some, yeah, they're all going to different places. The wobble would be quite a complicated wobble to, to go eight oh, yeah. planets all pulling. So if we could understand that, I suppose we could, knowing what we have in our solar system to, to the nth degree, I suppose we could then look at other stars and go, hmm, that's probably a more complicated wobble. That probably means X, Y, and Z, this many planets, or the possibility of this much mass, or something like that. Yeah, it's one of the um, wonderful things we've been able to do with the, um, let's see, I think we're up to about ooh, 500, 700 planets that are measured <laughs> through, the, um, through that wobble technique. That's fantastic. Uh, and with those, what you do is, you know, you measure the big wobble from the biggest planet and then you see, oh, there's a beat frequency on that. Mm. Huh. Ah. If, we put, if we put two planets together, if we say, here's a big beat and here's a little beat, how do they beat... How do they interfere? Mm. And we get, oh, and that matches what we see. But see. hang on, now we've got another little bump that keeps coming out, a little sub-beat that comes in every once in a while. Mm. Let's add another planet. Hey, look, now it matches what we see. Right. I've got so a qu- yeah. question which might be a very silly question. There are no silly questions. Excellent. I, don't, now, don't, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a challenge, Michelle. Please don't, don't give Dan that idea. <laughs> whenever... I'm trying to think of a really silly word. Um, the question, wh- the question. Whenever I think of looking at this planet and looking for its wobble, I'm always thinking of looking at it from the side and and we, we sort of know that the planets are going out to the left and then out to the right and then out to the left and that we're seeing it from the side. But I guess that's kind of because I'm thinking that all of the solar systems in the galaxy are all lined up 
the same way. But that's not necessarily true, is it? Three-dimensional no, space, if, yeah. Yep. yeah. We, we see planetary systems at all different angles. And one of the fun problems is trying to figure out what angle we're seeing things at a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's where people go, what's the point of trigonometry, which has lots of points. There's one point. You can actually use sine of things. You use sine and cos to work out the angles of inclination of, of wobbles on planets. I read that. I was very excited. So it, it, do fits, people in, really, it fits into the maths. Do people really ask you what's the deal with trigonometry? Well, I'm, well, I'm a teacher, so yes. A lot, oh, right. A lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of te- a lot of kids go, sir. What's the point of this? And you go, well, let me tell you. And they go, we still don't care. It's like the most, Im- yep. it's one of the most important With trigonometry, ones. You can measure the mass of a planet around another star. And then if that doesn't excite you, nothing oh, ever awesome? will. I know. <laughs> so, so two astronomy geeks just got high pitch, and that was awesome. <laughs> Woo! It's for, true. For everyone not wearing the microphone, measuring the levels. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. The headphones. Dan, headphones. Just, Dan just went a bit deaf there. But the things in the Kuiper Belt, the, the shiny things that you find, we find them because they're reflecting light, because they're very, very cold things, because they're icy bodies. So it must be reflecting light. But there, could there be a lot of really dark, sooty, black things out there we just could never see? That's a really good question. It's one of the problems we've been trying to deal with, is how shiny are some of these things? Biggest objects we know of out there are the size of Western Australia. That's that's how big Pluto is. That's, that's wow. how big Eris is. That's tiny. Not if it hits you. <laughs> no, well, that's true, yes. It's not as big as our moon. Let's put it that wow, way. But these okay. are worlds. Like, they mm. have atmospheres. They have storms. Oh, they really? have. I didn't yeah. know. Wow, Pluto, okay. Pluto has amazing seasonal changes. So it, wouldn't it be too cold out there for an atmosphere of... Wouldn't it just turn into ice and sit on the surface? Sometimes. You've got this weird interplay where, so Pluto is like our Earth. We get seasons because the axis is tilted relative to how we go around the sun. Mm -hmm. Pluto is also tilted quite a bit more than what we are. So it gets seasons that way as well. But it also gets seasons. Our orbit doesn't do a vast amount to our seasons. So it's basically, it's sort of circular. Yeah, yeah. Right, our, okay. our orbit is basically circular for mm. all intents and purposes. And that's probably Pluto, a good thing for us, really, to be honest. Really, yes. really. Yeah. Otherwise, you live on a Game of Thrones planet and yeah. you get like, winter is coming and it'll last 15 years. And like, oh, bloody hell. So it's like, yeah. It's oh, there's, a, there's a good paper on explaining exactly how Game of Thrones planet works. Really? Oh, oh can you? Oh, you we'll find it. That's right. We'll, we'll, yeah. we need to find that because that's very important. <laughs> that's real science. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, Pluto gets seasons as well, but it's seasons are weird because they're mostly due to its orbit. So when it comes in close to the sun, that's when suddenly it's spring and summer on Pluto, partly due to the axis, but mostly due to the orbit. And suddenly the whole atmosphere starts subliming off the surface. Instead of these huge layers of ice, the atmosphere sublimes up and suddenly you have clouds and weather. And the reason we can measure this is we've seen Pluto pass in front of stars mm. and we've seen the light from the star dip down in such a way that it shows us, huh, we can measure the pressure of the atmosphere oh, and wow. we can see the density of the haze at different heights in Pluto's atmosphere. That's amazing. What's, so oh, what, yeah. what, what is its atmosphere made out of? It's not oxygen. It wouldn't be oxygen, would it? We wouldn't be that lucky. No. Um, dwarf, planet, <laughs> dwarf planets for atmospheres in the outer solar system, you're mostly looking at methane, nitrogen, bit of carbon monoxide, hmm. bit of ammonia. Oh, fun yeah. stuff. Oh, good stuff. Good so, for cleaning. Oh, yeah. Pluto it's is the cleanest kitchen, planet. It's a very clean planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for the problem is you have all of these lovely molecules, these ices, and then you bombard it with cosmic radiation for mm. billions and billions of years. And what instead you get is tarry goop. 
Oh. All of the molecules glue together, and you get these lovely, thick, gooey molecules, which, when you look at them in a reflected light, are dark. Hmm. Kind of reddish, actually. Ooh. So, so Pluto has this weird thing where when the atmosphere gets cold again, when it goes far away from the sun, the atmosphere, think what should happen. We haven't actually seen this happen yet. We're hmm. waiting for it to it's, see it happen. It's got an orbit of 200 and something years, isn't it? 270? Is that something in that area? Something like that. Yeah, it's a couple hundred years. So yeah, yeah. we've so, only talked about it for 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, only, we've only seen it for what? It's, it's, it's autumn? Or, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we see, we've seen Pluto Autumn. There you go. And can you imagine Dan was saying, oh, it's coming into winter in Brisbane and he has to put on an extra shirt. On Pluto, if you're standing on Pluto, you have to make like a big building so the atmosphere doesn't crash on your head. Because exactly. it, it turns to ice. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so you have the atmosphere making the planet shiny again in places as it condenses out. Mm. Well, we think that's what happened. We haven't actually seen it yet. Instead, what seems to be happening is that we're getting more atmosphere every time we measure it. Oh. So Pluto is being completely contrary to what we have an idea should is it, happen. Is it outgassing? Is that, is that what you're saying? It's, it's, it's producing gas somewhere. <laughs> It would be nice to know. Fortunately, we have a spacecraft that gets there in two years' time, and that will help a whole amount with figuring this out. That's New Horizons, isn't it? That's, that's the one. That's the one. Ah, oh, good, excellent. And that's, the, that's been running pell-mell to, to Pluto for years. Oh, yeah. One of the fastest spacecraft we've ever made. And I'm, I'm How do they get it faster? Well, how do they make it the fastest one? Just more rockets? You put it on a really big rocket, and you <laughs> made it very small. So you have a very small thing on a very ah. big rocket, and you end up with a very fast spacecraft. Did it do a lot of to call when, when you go past a planet and you get some of the energy from the planet and it flings it off even faster? An assist. An assist. So did they get lots of assists as well as it like went past things? They did one past Jupiter because right. they took some really pretty photos of Jupiter. Ah. And it's, sort of, it's been in shutdown mode and just kind of happily zooming along. Now, it's not going to yep. slow down, will it? It can't break or anything. It'll just hurl no, past. No, it, it, it gets half a day as it goes what? past Pluto to Is take pictures. 12, yep. 12 hours, really? At, at, well, at, at closest it's a approach. That. You get, at closest approach, you get about 10, 12 hours of really good photographs, and then you're past. <laughs> Goodness me. So, but it, surely they can switch on the camera weeks out cause it's, and, and take photos as you're barreling on in. Was oh, it? yeah, but it's really, really small. Right. <laughs> oh, so it's really going to just suddenly turn up like, like a bullet out of a... Like, if you put a camera on a bullet and took a picture of someone going past, that's what yep. it's going to be like. It's like, hi, so, Pluto! <laughs> so the, the New Horizons team have been spending years and years planning exactly what's going to happen mm. when it goes past. Because the cameras are pretty much going to be on continuous exposure in the same way that a sports photographer is just going to be going click, 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 mm. click to make sure you get the right thing. Yeah, it's, it's going <laughs> to be doing that. You'd want which to. means we'll get all these photographs taken, they'll sit in the computer's memory, and then it'll take them a year to send back all of the information. <laughs> uh, you re what you really don't want is like to get them all back and discover that the spacecraft has left its thumb over every <laughs> single one. The lens cap was still on. Yeah. No! Uh, which, I really, mean, really try not to have that happen. And that, that, could, that could be really scary. I don't know how the camera works, but I'm assuming it must have something protecting the lens that has to open, and that would be the most heartbreaking thing in the world if, it, if that just didn't open. Can you imagine? You'd be like, well, we're going past... Oh, yeah. that would, not that I want that. I'm not jinxing it. That's not what I'm doing. But, all, but we've learned a lot about Pluto since cause it left over a decade ago, I think, didn't it? Did it, it did, so, yeah. So we've, uh, 2006. Oh, okay, not quite. Okay, so six, seven years. And by the time it mm. gets there, it'll be eight years, by the time it got, got there. We've learned things about Pluto since then. Like, it's got more moons. Like, you had Pluto and Charon. It's big, sort mm -hmm. of. But we've discovered there's other ones. There's one called Nix and Hydra. Is that the ones? Yep. 
Yeah, and then we discovered another one. I think we're up to P5 and I think P6. Uh, yeah. the, yes, the ancient underworld god of P5 and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a naming competition for that about two months ago, so hopefully we should actually what? have a new name for it soon. Yeah, ah, nice. I missed. Hey, how, this is a competition. Anyone what's the prize? What's it? It was a popularity contest. I don't know if they're actually going to use those names. But, uh, but <laughs> Take that, popularity. <laughs> Well, the problem is yours. They have to run it past the naming convention. I like that. Yeah, Scientists sat think... back and went, well, here are the popular names, but we were never popular at school, so now it's time for some revenge. No popularity contest for us. <laughs> we're going to get a Latvian underworld god from that's the 1600s. That's right. Well, oh, no, no, no. It has to be, yeah, it has to be from Hades-type mythology. Mm, so. they, look, oh, they have to go through. So it could be like Cerberus or something like that. and, and sort Exactly. Of fit in there. Cerberus is one of the front runners. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I know my Greek mythology. There you go. Does that mean that change what the parameters for the New Horizon mission? Because they go, whoops, we've discovered another planet, another moon. Um, we better, you know, we don't run. Of course, we don't hit the moon. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, and it got it got really scary for a while because we had this <laughs> spacecraft just over a big piano barreling towards Pluto, and there was this worry of, are we just going to run into a whole? bunch of debris there of tiny little moons that we can't oh, see the Hubble Space Telescope mm. and that was a real worry for a bit but it, they keep finding more moons and <laughs> it turns out New Horizons basically does this bullseye through the Pluto system and where Sharon the big moon of Pluto is going round and round clears a huge lovely big gap so New Horizons is going to thread the needle basically around Pluto's Sharon through this lovely cleared gap. And it can do another nifty thing as well. It's got a huge big dish on the front, which is what it uses to send these images back over the course of a year. And it can turn that and use it as a shield in front of itself. (laughs) So it's basically got a giant dish as a shield when it rams through the Pluto system. That's fantastic. I do like that all these gods of Greek mythology are sitting there out in space and now we've got this machine that's about to raise up a shield and yes. just bludgeon its way through like a Greek <laughs> hero. Yeah, that's right. It's smash its exactly. way through. That's brilliant. So it's, um, and can I just point out, just to put it in perspective, we're an ape that evolved on the savannas of Africa and now we're sending something the size of a piano... <laughs> To the to 48 times the distance of the Earth, flying faster than a bullet and threading it between a planet and its moon through the only cleared space to take photos of it. Like, we, we are spectacular sometimes as a species. I just have to say that. <sighs> so excited. I love this. I mean, you know, there's a new Star Trek movie out. For the cost of one of these Star Trek movies, oh, we can... We can take pictures of the actual awesomeness of the place where we live. Yeah, yeah, but mm. but 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 your photos won't be filled with awesome lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> and and Star much Trek into lens flare. Yeah. Right, much <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. And maybe that's, maybe that's what, um, because there are people like me who are quite happy. The whole Kickstarter ideas and, and, and all those versions, other versions of like Indiegogo and those sort of things. Maybe, maybe it's possible to kickstart these kind of missions. You know, hey guys, give us 10 bucks and we'll go to, go to Pluto and take a photo of it for you or something like that. You know what I mean? Like we, maybe there's a way of, of getting citizens funding. I don't know. I'm just, just, just got excited there for a moment. Maybe we'd have to vote off one of the moons. That's, <laughs> yes, I don't like Uranus. I don't like Uranus either. Get out. Uranus isn't a moon. 
No, we'll put the planet. We'll be we, have to be t- we have to be checking around whether you could actually get uh, Kickstarter-type funding for planetary missions. Oh, there Who you knows? Go. Oh, yeah. In the future, <laughs> this has been fantastic. But let's just go further out. Let's go out 50,000 AUs to the Oort cloud. Now, the Oort cloud, as far as I'm aware, is a, a cloud. It's, yeah, it's called... It's comics, basically. These big icy bodies that are sitting out there. For the, it's all the detritus from the construction of the solar system. After they built the solar system, all the, the, the Vogons, well, not the Vogons, the, um, what do you call them? The oh, Magratheans. The Magratheans pushed all the construction material out to the outskirts of the solar system, and it's all there. That's, that's it's out there. And I have a problem. That's, that's, I mean, forget the Magrathean bit, but that's roughly what it is, isn't it? It's sort of the, the leftover yeah. bits. Yep, everything in the outer solar system are the leftover bits from the construction. They're the, the tiny little protoplanets in some ways that didn't quite make it into being big planets that got scattered. They it's the off leftover the debris and where it's splattered, where it sits now, that's what allows us to play CSI solar system and reconstruct <laughs> how the giant planets migrated and rearranged themselves. Okay. Now, I have, I have a problem because... That's I... why we need to discover more of these objects. Yes. Yeah. We're still drawing and crown the history of the early solar system and we're just finally starting to get to, put to the point where we can actually tell the story properly of what actually happened. I, I, I try and think skeptically in my day to day life and, and try and think in that way and you have evidence. And so the Oort cloud is what's the evidence for the Oort cloud? I have difficulty because we can't image it, we can't see it. We know that comets come, but they come from 360 like all around the sun. How do we know it's there? Like how do we know that something at 50,000 AU is actually there? Yeah, no, that is a really, really good question. And it is based on the comet. So we see a comet, right? Mm-hmm. Rob McNaught over at Siding Spring discovers us a new comet. <laughs> it's amazingly, he's, that telescope has now discovered 100 comets. So yeah, <laughs> well, well, in, in five years, we've been doing pretty good. That's here. pretty good, yes. You get a comet, you'll generally find it somewhere inward of Saturn. They don't really get bright enough to see out beyond there. Mm. There's a couple different sorts of comets. They come from different places, and we can figure that out based on their orbits. So you see a comet coming in, and you can figure out from where it moves across the sky what its orbit around the sun is. Mm -hmm. And if you track it for long enough, then you get a really good picture of of what its orbit is. But we see these comets pretty frequently. Mm. So if we see... You know, a comet per year that's coming from a particular spot. But we see, as you say, we see them from all around the, the sun. We see them distributed evenly mm. almost across the sky in some ways. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a lot of them because we aren't special at this particular point in time of, gosh, there's a lot of comets. Yeah, We're seeing them at a pretty constant rate. And a comet is going to be sent in when its orbit is disturbed by the tides of the galaxy. Mm. Okay. The galaxy itself has you know, oh. this lovely little gravitational shush of tide, and eventually that'll perturb the orbit of one of these comets enough that it'll come in towards the sun instead of being out there quite that far, and then it will drop in and we get to see it. It must, so take, a, it must take a long time to get here. It must take a long oh, yeah. time to get here. Oh, yes. <laughs> Millions, if not <laughs> more, this stupidly long periods of time. Only on, only on ape time. Well, yes, that's only on ape time. That's true. Yes. Yeah, but if the but if you're dropping in that many comets per year, mm. and what that just keeps happening and it just keeps happening, then you need a lot of comets, mm. and you can't perturb all of them every year. So you have to be perturbing a tiny number of them every year to drop them in, and you end up with huge numbers of comets sitting out there for this ah. to be possible over the age of the solar system. But could could the just now, a, a, a billions of comets is too few. 
Right. Okay. So that's there's many, 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 many billions. But could it? Yep. Could they just be distributed randomly through interstellar space or intergalactic space or interstellar space? Could, why do they have to be in a cloud around the sun? That's that's my. Well, their orbit, their orbits are that they're definitely part of our solar system, so they're bound to the sun. Ah. Okay. Right. But they, because, they, they can't yeah, have the shape, come... the shape of a comet coming in from another star will be different. Aha. Okay. That's that's right. That, that, that answers that question. Okay. Good. So we know that they're linked to ours. They haven't been captured and, and turned into a like comet from us. They they've come from something that's already linked to the sun. Yeah. We can uh, say that. Oh, so a comet that was. And you can actually say that when the sun the sun was young and was close to all its other brother and sister stars mm. in the cluster of stars that it formed in, the comet clouds of each star would have overlapped enough that we've probably nicked a large chunk of our comets oh. from the sun's brothers and sisters. Angry, angry sibling rivalry. I love it. This, this astronomy gets better yep. and better and better. <laughs> so, so if I get this straight... We know that most of these comets are coming from the Oort cloud because they sort of drop lazily in and then swing by the sun or form yep, a... And whereas the if they were coming from somewhere else, they'd probably shoot by in pretty much a straight line and then sort of be yeah, affected by the gravity that. of the sun. But mm. they'd... Yeah, so they'd be describing yeah, and it. And we've never, we've never seen one of those. Oh, wait, oh really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's one of the things that we kind of keep an eye out for in these surveys is one day we'll get mm. to see an interstellar comet. One day. Wow, that's really exciting. <laughs> and who, we have to name that. We, might, we have yet to end up here, Michelle. It's been fantastic talking to you. We always love talking to people who are passionate about science and astronomy. Yeah, it was almost as much fun as talking about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> much more, much more exciting. So thank you very much. Keep watching the skies for us. I hope one day you get something named after you. <laughs> she's a Greek, she's a Greek <laughs> underworld figure? Well, we don't want to say anything, but shh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> With great thanks to Michelle Bannister. She was a good egg. She <laughs> a good egg. Like chickens lay, like velociraptors like lay. Or like a, like a planet is egg-shaped. Sometimes. If Sometimes. The, if the hydrostatic equilibrium is not precise, I suppose. There's not yeah. enough hydrostatic. Or the egg is totally spherical. Oh, yeah, there are spherical eggs. Well, well done. I, my mind jumps to bigger things. Bigger, mightier, and silly. Giant space eggs. Uh, Why am I not surprised? Space Kraken. <laughs> yes, thanks to Michelle and trans-Neptunian objects. And she very nicely said that she'll come back in the future and uh, tie off all the threads that we stuffed up in the... <laughs> that we picked at and unraveled. And unraveled, as we do, as we do. We'll have her back later on. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. You have also been listening to Greg at smartenough.org. Twitter equals SE2KB. And Facebook also equals SE2KB. Chat to like-minded fools in the forums. And tell us where we got it wrong or we got it right. Yeah, our walk of shame has been a very empty bucket recently. That's right. Find our mistakes That's true. and make us walk. Oh, and if you love us, and I assume you do, then jump into iTunes and rate us with five stars and give us a little review. That'd be perfect. About how lovely we are. It's all we need in this world. My love for podcasting has Cotard syndrome, and I need you to bring it back to life by rating me level five. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. There will be no bloopers after the credits. None. Are there bloopers after the credits? Oh yeah, heaps. <laughs> Oh, shoot. What happened? I just closed Skype. Oh, <laughs> that's it. She's given up. Yep. She goes, oh, those guys are just useless. Yep.
What a pack of drongos. And how close will she be to correct? <laughs> That's a crazy... Yeah, I'm in I, Victoria, I, BC. Oh, there you go. So, back in time, too. Wow. Wrong BC. <laughs> 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 there we go. Yeah, Natural BC one. is slightly before Columbia. Before, I think. Oh, that's very. That's not, that's not what it is. <laughs> it gets rid of my Clark Gable quality from my voice and adds this weird bouncy, echoey thing. Yeah. Okay. Damn. It's more Clark Gable in a pit. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that movie. From one of the funding sources as to what we can say to the media and stuff. That's weird. She, she called us the media. Yeah, no, We'll put that one back in the barn. Let it uh, develop. <laughs> develop some barns. Horses? Colts. Oh, I see. Yeah, colts. Puppies. Puppies developing barns? Yeah. Oh. Sure. Sop with camels? They develop in barns? I've seen them. They fly back in there to breed. All oh, right. <laughs> like swallows. <laughs> they fly off again. Yeah, probably. Why am I thinking about dinosaurs? Just because you're a male? Of a certain age. I know. <laughs> yes, but I'm not actually that certain age. I've been uh, neotenized. You're paleo neotenized. Yes. Nice.